Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking again about the Kingdom of God. And uh, it's been a busy day, busy week. Lots of things uh, exchanged on the uh, on the Living Network. Not a lot in the Google Network, which is our different Google groups based on geography. They they were really active at one time, but now they're not always that active. There there's a little bit of exchanges there because you don't want to just be on the Google groups. It's a great way in which to send out announcements to the entire network. Uh, because they can go out instantly and you don't have to worry be, about uh, being filtered out by the different filtering agents uh, because you're already subscribed to those groups. And so we can ex- give information out quickly. The real living network is people connected with other people. You know, there are people in congregations. They talk with their ministers. They talk with each other. They talk with people outside of their congregation that are just out in the world and then they this these conversations these interactions these uh ways in which we relate to one another are are shared with the ministers and the ministers also meet and they discuss these things and try to resolve different issues uh there's some people wanting to put out flyers and and uh and so you know, the ministers talk about that and they share ideas and they share uh, uh, different ways to approach that issue. And we've had, uh, you know, thousands of flyers put out. I've, of course, been putting out thousands and thousands of booklets uh, for years and years and years. And I've gotten calls from the Ural Mountains. I remember early on and I couldn't even figure out how in the world did one of my pamphlets get into the Ural Mountains. Other calls from people who were over at somebody's house and they saw one of our pamphlets on the coffee table and they picked it up and they started reading it and they were fascinated. And they wanted more information and they called me up. And we give them that information for free. Talk on the phone for hours when people call up. But if you don't join the network, if you don't start networking together as if you're looking for the kingdom, because that's what you're supposed to be doing is seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God. See the word kingdom, that means government. Basilius in the Greek. So the government of God is at hand and you're supposed to be seeking it and its righteousness. Unfortunately, a lot of people think you're supposed to be seeking some kind of doctrine. You know, some kind of interpretation of the Bible. Some sort of private interpretation of the Bible. Their own private. So they go around, they shop for churches that have their interpretation. What they feel comfortable with. I I got up early this morning. I listened to a number of different preachers, pastors, whatever you want to call them. Who were talking about the apostate church. And, uh, and I clicked on a few of the videos. And one of them was talking about the Trinity. And, you know, that you have to believe that Jesus was God and that the Holy Spirit is God and that, and that God the Father is God and they're distinct and he goes through and he starts analyzing the Greek words and explaining all this stuff. But I went on his website and I looked for his church to see what his church is doing. They don't take care of the social welfare of the people in their congregations. 
Oh, they got people signing on and and they live stream their sermons and everybody loves it. I loved your sermon. It meant so much to me. It made me feel so good, you know, because it was just what I needed to hear. But you're still not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You, if you, if anybody, if your parents have needs, you send them to men who exercise authority one over the other. You don't take care of your parents. You don't provide for your parents. You send them to the government. And the government forces your neighbor and borrows against the future of your children to provide those benefits. And we explain all that. So, you may think your sermons are what people need to hear. You may, you know, go on for hours and talk about the apostate church and gay marriages and preachers who uh, are gay and that accept this immorality or that immorality, whatever it is. I don't know. There's probably a long list of things. And one one of the preachers said, every day you hear about some minister who absconded with funds and and ran off with one of the other women in his congregation. And he says, this is the apostate church. Well, those are sinners. No, there's no two ways about that. But the apostate church is a lot more. And that's just about every church out there. Because they're under a strong delusion. They're they're actually hypocrites. They say they love Jesus, but they won't do what he said to do. Which is to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. That's what you're supposed to be doing. They actually are out there preaching. There's nothing you have to do. You just have to accept this Private interpretation of the gospel according to Steve. You know, the gospel according to Bob. You know, uh, that that's not what you have to do. You have to accept the gospel according to Jesus Christ. And he talked about those who are covetous. He talked about those who, you know, sing the song and do the dance, but don't pay the fiddler. You know, the foolish virgins. They don't do the job. They, and it's so clear. I mean, when he said, make the people sit down in these congregations of ten. And those congregations of ten rank themselves in congregations of ten, which is a hundred. Times fifty, which is. 5,000, which there were 5,000 people there at that time, that they had to do that or there would be no loaves and fishes. And they did it. And it probably took a while to do. Because, I mean, it's not an instantaneous thing. You had to sit down in the... Actually, what was common, and I, I always remember seeing this in a Malaysian village, a film of a Malaysian village where the elders of the village all sat down in a circle to discuss and decide something that was important to the whole village. And behind each man, old man who was sitting in the circle, there were a couple other men, undoubtedly their sons. And this circle was going to make a decision that was going to affect almost everybody in one way or another in the village. Was it going to rule over them? They were just deciding where to put a well. Somebody was going to drill a well for that village 
so they would have fresh water because there was a problem with drinking water in that village and it would save lives and it would be a convenience to the health of the of the village. And so they had to decide. The leader couldn't decide. The people had to decide. And so they all sat down in these circles. And of course we've done shows explaining that the word church actually comes, church A, comes from a word that actually meant circles. People will say, oh no, it came from, you know, this Greek god. Well, yeah, there is connection to that, but you know, even the Greek gods, you know, the Greeks would gather in circles. You know, why was the hopolite shield round? I, I always kind of, I always wondered that. Why was their shields round? It's not very practical. But uh, anyway, I won't tell you why they were round. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, the 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 truth is, we're all in a bit of an apostasy. We've all strayed from the the message that Christ brought, which is the message that Moses brought, which is the message that Abraham brought, and it was the message that Melchizedek was telling people. There's not much in the Bible about Melchizedek. Most people don't even know who he is. Traditionally, the Jews knew for centuries that Melchizedek was Shem, who, according to biblical chronology, was still alive at the time of Abraham. And they go through a great deal of trouble to say that, you know, that the kingdom was passed down. The right to be the prince of the kingdom was passed down from generation to generation. So was it, how was it passed to Abraham? Well, it was passed to Abraham by Melchizedek, who was Shem. Well, you know, Abraham was nine generations away from Shem, so he just jumped over all those others. Now, there's an actual bloodline generation to Abraham. But what was the thing about Abraham? Abraham could have been ruler in Haran, and he left Haran. Abraham could have owned all the stuff that he that he had conquered in this overnight battle where he defeated these kings that were defeating Sodom and Gomorrah and other uh, city-states. He could have kept all that stuff, but he wouldn't keep any of it for himself. We see the same process in, in Gideon. We see the same process... In Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, he was not a poor, humble carpenter. His father wasn't a carpenter. He was probably a stonemason. And he was probably a major contract builder. Probably helped build some of the buildings in Caesarea. Yeah, I say probably. But that's, you know, you don't have to believe that. It's not a matter of faith. What What you do have to believe is the character of Christ. Who did not come to rule over you, but to serve. And this is the difference between the kings of the world and the kings of the kingdom of God. Everybody, There is no king in Israel. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And some men, in their eyes, they thought this was right, and it wasn't. And so, that man suffered the consequences of his choices. And that's that's called liberty. It's called freedom. 
And of course, God wants you to bring free souls under His authority. Those who conform to the character of God, to the way of God, to the Spirit of God, who accepted the Spirit of God in their hearts. You see, God's trying to tell you what's right and wrong all the time. He's speaking it out into existence through the voice of God. It's everywhere in nature. It's it's passing through you like neutrinos from space. But there's no place for it to light in your heart because you won't even repent. You have to think this different way. Repenting is thinking a different way. And so you have to think that it's not okay to force my neighbor to contribute to my welfare. All these preachers talking about apostate church, they think that's okay. That's They think it's okay to go to the kingdoms of the world and ask the rulers of the world because they're all part of the world. They're not separate from the world. They think it's okay to ask them to take care of me, send, send, send me some social security check, you know, take care of my parishioners with welfare, take care of my parishioners with money that I, I know you took from their neighbors, take care of them with money you borrowed from the future. That's what's so amazing is then the money they take from your neighbor is not to provide you with benefits. The money that you pay in taxes, that doesn't provide you with benefits. That pays the interest on the loan because they borrowed from the future. People don't get that. But that's not keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is working first, not borrowing against the future and then having to pay it back. The Sabbath is working first, earning your day of rest and taking your day of rest. You don't do that. I don't know how many Sabbath keepers don't understand that it's basic. The Sabbath is a way. There is ten commandments that can be summed up in two commandments and there are what 700 690 you know there's different ways that people count them the statutes of moses the statutes of moses are just trying to explain to you the ten commandments and we just talked in a program i was just editing it before uh, i was actually out i loaded a couple thousand pounds of wool this morning and and uh and it's going off to the to the people who process the wool. <laughs> it's going down the highway right now. Uh, late last night, I was changing a swather tire, or at least taking it off. I'll have to go get another swather tire because the old one is just disintegrated to toast. And so it's been busy, but I still got up, you know, five o'clock and started to ponder these questions as to what is the apostate church? What what is church? And in in the last few minutes before I went on, I was using that time to edit uh, some shows that we've done on this network and other networks, and uh, and we'll release everything through the the Living Network and through the the email network so that you can hear them for free. But uh, one show which I kind of named Avatar. Avatar is actually a Hindu god, but uh, we all use the word Avatar. That's that's your image. That's what you put on the internet to represent, you know, kind of a little icon that represents your personality. And everybody's got a little, you know, if you're on Facebook or if you're 
play games or whatever, they all have their little avatar. And that's supposed to represent your character. But it's made up, you know, what's like the song, you're better online. You know, so what, who are you really? What, what is the truth about your character really? Are you really a Christian? You know, people think I'm, I'm too hard on people. That I should be more compassionate and, and talk, you know, a little, you know, because I'm so critical. And then, you know, we did a little study and that's in the Avatar show, uh, on, on Mark 7. And they ask a, a simple question. They go, go up to Jesus, you know, and they says, how come your, your apostles don't wash hands like it says in our, our ordinances? Our, our laws, our traditions is the way we translate it, but it's actually the word for ordinance in the, in the Greek. And, and if you understood the Pharisees, they had rules. You break these rules, you're in trouble. You could be fined. I mean, already their Corbin, their sacrifice was compelled by Molkai and Gabai who would go around and, and pace off your grain field. To determine how much grain they were to receive from you. What they were to get from you. in Because the tithing was compelled under the Pharisees. Everybody had to pay their fair share. But Christ wanted you to do it through faith, hope, and charity. They, they wanted you to do it through taxes, through the king. You know, that was the, that was the foolish thing of Saul. It was foolish that the people wanted a king of rulers who could exercise authority. That's another thing a minister brought up, and I haven't really responded to it, but he was talking about kings and stuff. You know, there are kings who are not putting themselves in position. There were kings who were not putting themselves in the position of the father, because Jesus said, call no man father upon the earth. And they would not do certain things that most rulers today, most governments today do regularly. And, and there were five of these things, and they're mentioned in Deuteronomy. And they were, we were told that if you ever have a king, you should write these things down and read them to him every day. And see, you you don't understand that. Your preachers don't understand that. They don't. Understand. We wrote a whole book on it. contracts, uh, covenants, and constitutions. And there's a whole chapter in there that go through these five parameters that you need to put in the Constitution that you read to your rulers, restricting their power and authority. Because otherwise, you'll they'll end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking, like it says in Samuel 8. And of course, of those five things, only one has been put into the Constitution of the United States. And, you know, I could, I could go through and list them to you. But if, if your government has the power to do these five things, if you, the leaders that you elect can violate any of these five things, then it's not a Christian government. It's not a godly government. It's not ordained by God. It's ordained by you and God allows you to make those choices and you probably make covenants with that ruler, or at least that government of that ruler, because, you know, the rulers die, and then they elect somebody else to be in that office. So it's, you're actually making covenants with those, those governments. 
not with that individual. He's an enforcer of that covenant, but your covenant is your contract, your social contract, your whatever you want to call it, social compact, is with the government. And a lot of people want to go around saying, oh, I've never signed anything. Well, I, I don't know anybody who hasn't ever signed anything. <laughs> so everybody signed something. And it doesn't really matter. Rights and freedoms are inherited from your parents. Like those elders sitting in a circle making a decision. Whatever decision they make, they could get input from their son who's sitting behind them. They could get input from their son. But it's the elders who are going to come into agreement. Because even in that primitive village, they understood that the the son doesn't have any say-so until his father dies. And then he moves up. Then now he, because he's under his father's hierarchy, which is a good thing. Now it could be used badly, but not without consequences. You know, that's one of the things Jordan Peterson talks about is the hierarchy of society is natural. It's not just made up, it's natural. And it should be that way. But it also should incorporate love. And charity, which are actually in the Greek, are the same word. And compassion and all those things. But when, you know, in Mark 7, when they came to Jesus and they they asked him, why don't you guys wash your hands like we require people to do, along with a lot of other traditions, Jesus didn't explain to them. He scolded them, called them hypocrites. Uh, that that you know that they think they have transplanted the the uh, keeping of the commandments of God with their own traditions, and that's what every time anybody wants to talk to you about food laws and keeping the Sabbath, you know, and all these things, that's a dangerous, slippery slope. Now, I I I love to talk about those things, and like I say, as a personal discipline, you certainly can keep the food laws; it wouldn't hurt you, probably. Probably, but also I explained in in that show on the Avatar that what if you know where does it say thou shalt not eat GMOs? <laughs> where does it say thou shalt not eat uh, three quarts of sugar uh, a day? What what does it say in the food laws about Hostess Twinkies? You know, uh, which are probably not good for you. Can you eat those things with impunity? No. Food laws are, are trying to explain. And, you know, in that show, and, and I noticed that I, I, I did this, I referred to what commandment are you breaking, commandment of God are you breaking when you eat pork in Canaan? Well, when we come back, I, I will tell you. And I mentioned one in that, but you're actually breaking two commandments when you eat pork in Canaan. We'll be right back. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, if the Ten Commandments are the laws of God, and the statutes of Moses are trying to explain to you what it means to keep the laws of God, they're not, he's not making up new laws. He's not the, he, he's the lawgiver because he gave you the law of God. He created these statutes, which he keeps by side that covenant, to help you understand the laws of God. So what commandment were you in violation of 
when you ate pork in Canaan. Now, again, I set the picture in Canaan, uh, and archaeologists will verify this, that there, for hundreds of years there were pork bones all over Canaan. And you can actually, you know, they, they've tested uh, the feces that they find in some of these places where they know that, that they're, you know, they go down to the microbial level and find out that these people were just ridden with parasites. The bones that they find in the graves and stuff like that show that the people were debilitated. They they weren't living to much more than 40s. That was an old man. You know, I actually saw an old man the other day, and and uh, he kind of reminds me of the uh, stagecoach driver in uh, the Maverick that uh, uh, came out not too long ago. I guess it was actually kind of a while ago, but... Uh, where everybody kept asking him how he was doing because he's this old guy. And, of course, he ends up dying on the stagecoach. But uh, this guy, he looks like that guy. And he's frail and old. I mean, he's like 10 years younger than me. <laughs> and he's bent over. He can't do hardly any work. And, and uh, he's way younger. And I'm just astounded. I said, like, what happened to him? Well, life happens. That's what happens to him. But in Canaan, that was common for somebody at 40 to look like that. All falling apart. All degenerated. All crippled up. Couldn't walk straight. Long come the Israelites. You know, and these guys are big. And compared to the Canaanites. And they're strong. And they're healthy. And you find out that they're 60 years old and 70 years old and they have 10 sons and their sons have sons. <laughs> Every family's like an army and they're all together. And if, if you poke one of them with a stick, 20 of them show up. <laughs> so they, they said, these guys, and they're wealthy. They're carrying around, they have silver and gold and uh, they have everyone has a sword and they they're doing great as a people and they say wow you know they you know Canaan was still in the uh, jurisdiction of Egypt at that time Israel never left the jurisdiction of Egypt physically they were still you know cuz Canaan was still uh, actually paying uh, homage uh, you can call it, uh, to, uh, to Egypt to protect them because they couldn't put together an army. And there were Malachites and Amalekites around. And, uh, and, and because, you know, they didn't, they couldn't police everything. Uh, so, but if, if they attacked, if the Amalekites and Malachites attack the Canaanites, Egypt would come after them. They would send, uh, you know, regiment or something out there to beat the tar out of them. So they kind of stayed away. But they would, Egypt would not protect the Israelites. They had to protect themselves. And they did a pretty good job of that. And they, they were pretty amazing. So that suddenly the Canaanites say, you know, the Egyptians, you know, they take like six months to get here or a year and a half if we start having trouble. And they're not very responsive. Israelites, if you're just standing next to them, ain't nobody going to mess with you because the Israelites had to protect 
the stranger in their midst. They were about justice. They were not about loyalty to some king or ruler or flag. They they were about loyalty to justice and righteousness. They were the good Samaritans of their day. So anyway, what happened if the archaeologists say all the pork bones disappeared there at one given time? They just uh, just real quick within a generation there was hardly any pork around at all. Because the Israelite wouldn't have anything to do with anybody who was raising and eating pork. And so Canaanites learned to eat sheep and they got rid of their pigs. And their generations got healthier and healthier uh, because of the fact their pigs were ridden with disease and, uh, and, and parasites. And it was killing them as a society. And they would rather be friends with Israel. Now, there were some who fought against Israel, but it was just to maintain their own balance of power. And the people didn't support that because the archaeologists will also tell you that there was no evidence of a violent invasion during this time where the the, the individual villages and dwellings start the pork bones started disappearing from those villages and dwellings. There's no evidence of a violent takeover. Yet we hear about battles. So who's battling who? Well, it's simply the people who were in power wanted to battle against Israel. Unrighteously battle against them, and which is a big mistake. The people actually said, you know, I I want some of that what the Israel's doing. And they they didn't come in as oppressive group. People don't understand that. And of course you're not going to get that from you know, how, how what were they doing that made them so wealthy, so healthy, so viable as a community, so strong, so virile. And, uh, you know, what, what were they doing as a community? Oh, they all believed in something. No, they were actually all doing something. They cared about one another. So what, so if you, knowing that if we eat this pork, if we, if we handle, uh, you know, even touch the Canaanites, we could pick up these parasites. I mean, we had to wash if we came near them and we had to wash our feet if we walked out amongst them and and uh, then wash our hands before we eat anything because, I mean, everywhere you went, these parasites were everywhere. They had to cleanse the land and get rid of them because of all these habits that they had in that society. And uh, so... What was the commandment that you would break if you ate that pork and touched those people? Well, at least you would be adulterating your body. Also, you would be going against God because you would be adulterating your body. You would be jeopardizing your body. So, the, And that's actually what a lot of people don't understand. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It means you don't adulterate the flesh. It's not just about you know, your relationship with your wife. It's about adulterating your flesh. And you can do that with lots of things besides pork. But they don't mention them because some of them hadn't been invented yet. So you would not be abusing yourself physically. But the other commandment is thou shalt not kill. Because you could literally kill yourself. If you if you have extramarital relationships these days, you could end up bringing home AIDS or syphilis, or gonorrhea to your family. So now it's not that you just 
committed adultery, but you actually murdered your wife or your husband with your extramarital affairs. Wow. Maybe your your children. It will pass on to your children. So, yeah, you can break multiple commandments by violating a single statute. But the statutes, what they're trying to do is explain the principles of of the uh, commandments. And so we we come to the commandment that tells me whether or not you really love your neighbor as yourself. Do you covet your neighbor's goods? Do you hire men to take away from your neighbor? To take away from your neighbor's children by borrowing against the future, violating the thou shalt, you know, keep holy the Sabbath <laughs> because you're borrowing against the future. You didn't earn that. You, you, you're taking your rest today and you say, well, I'll pay you back tomorrow. See, so people are violating the commandments, yet they're up there in the church and they're preaching to us about the apostate church. They are the apostate church. They're under a strong delusion. They're not doing what Christ said. So anyway, they're they're actually poisoning your mind with the idea that it's okay to cover your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. They are getting you to commit adultery by going to the fathers of the earth and saying, please take care of my social welfare. I don't care how you do it. You can take away from my neighbor as much as you need to. You can borrow against the future as much as you need to. But I want to be taken care of now. I know Social Security is bankrupt. I still want to be taken care of now. So if I say, okay, so that makes it a sin or or missing the mark. That's what sin is, missing the mark. So you're taking these government benefits. You're taking that government check to take care of your sons or your daughters or your, your parents or whoever it is in your family. Instead of you gathering together and sitting down in tens and ranks of hundreds and ranks of 50. Instead of doing that. You're taking from the fathers of the earth to provide for the welfare of your family or either yourself or your neighbor. Rather than sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds and thousands to take care of one another. See, that's why Jesus condemned those who said they were doing great things in his name. Say, get you from me. I know you're not. You're, you know, I never knew you. You're not, you're not doing, oh, you've got this doctrine right and you got that doctrine right, but those are all doctrines of men. Fabricated by the Bible, but missing the very essence of the Bible, which we see with Abraham, which we see with Moses, we see with Gideon, we see with the Israelites, we see, and where do we see these strain? Where was the, what was the sin of Saul? The sin of the people was electing Saul. You know, Trump Saul. <laughs> uh, whatever. It doesn't really matter. That was the sin of the people because they were looking to men who exercised authority to provide because they didn't want to be ruled over by God. They had already rejected God. They would already turned their back on God. And so they couldn't see how stupid this was. And that's why it's so amazing when you read Samuel 8. He's saying, look, if you go this way, he's going to take and 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 take. 
and then you're going to cry out and I'm not even going to hear you. And they say, give us a king anyway. And we say, well, how could they? He just explained it. Well, they, they couldn't see. That's why, you know, you look out at the liberals today and they, they, they don't seem to be bothered with facts. They don't seem to be bothered. They, they can't see. They can't see their unreasonableness. But the truth is, is you look out amongst the conservatives and they can't see their unreasonableness because they're still going to the men who exercise authority one over the other to provide for their welfare. They're still electing a king that they think is going to solve all their problems. So what was the foolishness of Saul? What was it that was going to cause his kingdom to fall, to fail? He forced an offering. And and that they all these governments of the world still force an offering. What was the difference between John the Baptist and all the governments of the world? Is that he said, No, we don't do it by force, we do it by charity. Sharing. Which brings me to another topic. I saw a video and this is all going to be related. Of course it's all related to the same thing I talk about every week, but I try to bring in different aspects. I saw an experiment with rats. They put rats in a little cylindrical plastic cage inside a cage and there was a trap doors at the end where you could, you know, a, a rat on the outside could lift that door and let the other rat out. And they put one rat in that, another rat in the cage where it could go around and it could release the first rat. And it would learn to do it. It would go around and try and push on things and try to figure out how to release that rat. And eventually it would release that rat and it would go in there and say, okay, you know, you can get out now kind of thing, you know, and then they would both get out. Because they said that the rat sensed the stress of the rat, the exterior rat sensed the stress of the rat that was trapped in this little cylinder. And so he, he worked at trying to figure out how to get him out. And he figured out how to do it. So he was good at it. So then they tried the experiment again. Where they uh, they uh, injected the exterior rat, you know, with diazepam. Which you, you can use to treat depression. You know, because see, what's happening is he's sensing the anxiety of the rat who's trapped. He's in there trapped. He can't move hardly. can't eat anything. And he begins to become stressed. I, I, how do I get out of this? There's no way out. I can't turn around. I'm just trapped. And he tries to figure out, how can I get this rat out? Because I'm getting anxious because my fellow rat is snared, trapped. So I'm trying to figure out how to get him out. And he goes around until he figures out how to get them out of that little cylindrical trap. But if he gives them diazepam, which helps him with his anxiety, he doesn't try to do it. He goes around and he, you know, wanders around in the cage and he'll even eat, you know, but he doesn't try to get his rat buddy out. He ignores him. He's fine with his, and, and it gets more and more anxious in the, cause the other one in the little cylindrical, cylindrical trap, he, 
he doesn't get any diazepam. So he's anxious and he's trying to figure out how to get out. And and the other rat knows how to do it, but he won't do it. He's not interested. Because he's okay, he doesn't feel the stress. And so what what reality, and we've talked about this before, is that you, you have hormones in your physical body. And those hormones will release and create stress. And then if you do something to resolve that stress, the body will secrete counter-hormones that may give you a good feeling. And so you will do this. I mean, this is... If you don't procreate, if you don't create children, you, 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 your species will die out. I come from a long line of people who produce children. <laughs> I can guarantee that. I don't, I don't even have to do, uh, you know, a, a ancestor tree. I know I come from a long line of people who had children. <laughs> Guess that's how you get here. That's how society is reborn in the family. Now, there's a lot of people who are giving birth to children outside of the family, you know, but uh, that's unnatural. That's uh, that that causes problems, and it, statistics will bear that out. I don't have you don't have to argue with me. You can argue with the statistics. Single parent families have a tremendously high rate of. Uh, Difficulties. There are kids who survive that and do well. But statistically, you've got to strike against you if you're a single parent family. Now, if you, ha- if you're a single parent family with a strong family and the family are all helping one another to survive, that will counter the fact that the father isn't there or the mother isn't there. Because you have the, you have uncles stepping in and aunts stepping in to play those roles. And that's good. That's, that, that will still produce a healthy society. But if you had the government saying, oh, you don't need your uncles, you don't need your aunts, you don't need uh, a father or a mother, you just need somebody to babysit you. I mean, and, and I give you all the different examples, and statistically, this is destroying society. So, what it is, is government welfare is the diazepam uh, in the modern rat race. You don't have to take care of your, you know, your, your, your sister's son when her husband dies or leaves her or whatever. You, you don't have to be there. Government will do it. You don't have to take care of your parents. You do have to do no more ought for your parents. Because the government will do it. Now, you don't have to tell your parents stop taking social security you know it's their choice but i tell you that if people were to gather together in the tens fifties hundreds and thousands to become independent of that system they would see the results coming about in their community and that's where you want to go that's where you want to head it's a process it may take some time but that's why jesus was teaching the people early on to sit down in the tens and gather together in these groups, thousands of them. See, everybody wants you to go to these big churches. They want you to sign on to their live feeds and hear their sermons and and tie to you know. So you're sending all this money to some big preacher who sits up there and talks and 
and says what you think you need to hear. Jesus didn't come telling you what you think you need to hear. He told you what you need to hear and what you needed to hear, evidently, when it came to the Pharisees, is that you're hypocrites. You have replaced the words of God, the laws of God, with the statutes of men. And you have to stop doing that. It makes you feel good. Wait, wait, you know, the checklist people. Now, you know, I've got a grandson. He's a checklist guy. He wants a list of things that he has to get done. A list of his chores. And he goes and does it and it's done. And he likes it. He gets a little adrenaline because he, he got that done. And he goes and gets it. And I got another grandson who he gets his adrenaline a little bit different. He doesn't necessarily like his list. He's developed his own little path. and he, But he still wants that approval of somebody. Or somebody says, oh, you did good. He needs that. The other guy just needs to cross it off the list. But the, the one grandson, he needs to hear, you did good. You know, you, you, you had approval. I had a son who was that way. Well, I probably got a couple of, uh, that are that way. One's a little bit more extroverted and the other one's a little bit more introverted. At least that's the way it appears. And the fact is they're developing, now I see my grandsons and granddaughters, they're developing patterns of behavior. And those will be with them forever. And they, they, will, they will not be equal in their different skills. And that's good. Because they, they will be versatile within the to some degree where they can do a lot of different things all of them are pretty smart but they will they will specialize and they will be better at this and some will be better at that you know i got one grandson he is an action guy he will jump in and he has a sense of justice and he's kind of uh, fearless i got a couple of grandsons who are kind of fearless and they will play important roles in in you know in the community but I got others who are deeper thinkers and contemplate and analyze and divide, uh, you know, a problem up into manageable segments and then resolves the issues. And that's a talent too. So you get all kinds of people in the kingdom. But what is the common factor? People say, oh, well, they they keep the Sabbath. Well, they probably don't, as we've just explained. They probably don't keep the Sabbath. They keep some day that they count up to in some calendar and they say that we kept the Sabbath. But they don't. And like I, I pointed out is that the church met on Sunday. But yet we know that the early church was mostly Jews and they kept the Sabbath. So, but they, people argue, no, we're supposed to meet on Sunday. We're not supposed to meet on the Sabbath because the Pope changed it. What what they changed is what the Sabbath is and what Sunday was. Sunday was a day to begin to tend to the daily ministration and to make sure that the people were sitting down in the tens, hundreds and fifties, thousands and five thousands. That was what Sunday was for. Sabbath was still the day of rest. So you say, we're going to have church at home. You don't even know what you're talking about. What is church at home? How do you have the called out at home? See, you've changed the meaning of all these words. Religion, church, everything. 
But anyway, we'll explain all that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Be right back. Talking about uh, First and Second Timothy. And uh, I may talk about that in the next part of the show, but I may shift gears again and save that because I really think we need to go through First and Second Timothy uh, from the beginning because there's so much in there that most people don't, you know, understand. They, I mean, they mention uh, uh, Putin's and Linus and Claudia, but they also talk about, uh, you know, it's just a different approach in Timothy. And if you understand Timothy in the context of the early church, you'll see that uh, who he's talking to and why he's saying what he's saying. Yeah, I'm looking through Timothy as I, I'm I'm scanning through there and it's reminding me of different things. There, There's a lot in Timothy. So rather than start Timothy, I'll probably uh, shift gears here and uh, we'll save Timothy. Maybe we'll start a whole series on that. Um, one of the things that were in the news this week, uh, lots of things in the news, I saw uh, there was a summit of uh, NATO, and uh, I saw how the press was handling what uh, the President of the United States was doing to try to bolster up NATO, and one of the big complaints that uh, Trump had was that the Germany was had made a big oil deal where they're purchasing oil from the Soviet Union, uh, which is funding the Soviet Union or Russia's coffers, while the United States is paying NATO into NATO to protect Germany from Russia. So it's it kind of like, wait a minute, we're paying in billions of dollars to keep you safe from Russia, and you're paying billions of dollars to Russia to buy their oil. It's kind of seems strange to him, but I'll tell you what was strange is during World War II, Ford Motor Company was building, had factories in Germany building equipment for the German army. <laughs> All during World War II. And we bombed those factories. And they sued us. And got paid to rebuild those factories for money from the United States taxpayer to rebuild those factories that we bombed during World War II. I mean, like, politics makes strange bedfellows. Uh, but nobody, people look at the news and they just, they see everything in these sound bites. And it's like, you know, lemmings where you can just lead people's thinking off in this direction or that direction. And, you know, as long as they make you feel like you've found a solution, everything's okay. And, uh, because that's, that's your diazepam. You know, that's the rat who, uh, gets the little inhibitors where he doesn't feel anxious anymore because they gave me a solution. They gave me something that makes the anxiety go away. And so that's the way society is operating. That's why why they have the benefit programs. And, oh, we're going to get... Everybody, all their anxiety about health care went away because Obamacare was coming into play. It was a failure. It was upping the premiums of everybody uh, who were already paying for their insurance and lowering the... 
the uh, amount of uh, things that the insurance company would take care of and raising the deductibles and it was a fiasco and uh, and the control was going more out of the people's hands and so but the people who weren't paying anything in now they could just go to the doctor and so to them it was great you know but to the people who you know actually were funding it it was terrible because their own insurance was falling apart or they couldn't even get insurance so then then suddenly those people if you repeal the Obamacare, they suddenly get their diazepam. Everything's okay because they repealed that. It didn't really get repealed. They just kind of, it. you know, it's still floating around there causing all kinds of trouble. But they got a sense. They they got the, you know, and, and I talked in the previous show about my grandson, one of them. I mean, I got lots of them. Uh, he's a, he crosses things off. He did that job and he gets a little relief. Well, unfortunately for him, he has a grandmother who will come along and say, you didn't get that job done. He got it done to fit his specs, his perception of the job, but he missed a part of it. So he got the release. He got the feeling, I got that done. But he had somebody come along and say, you hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> you did not get that done. You failed to do this. And then, oh, geez, depression, anxiety. <laughs> but but he'll learn, you know, because you have to rebuke. And that was one of the things that I saw in reading Timothy this morning to get ready to do Timothy, which we're not going to do, is that it uses the word rebuke in there, that we are to rebuke not an elder. And I thought, well, wait a minute. As many as I love, I also rebuke. But there it says, rebuke, not an elder. Well, that word rebuke, not an elder, that you see in Timothy, it's only used once in the whole Bible. It's not the same rebuke you see when it says, as many as I love, I also rebuke. It's a different word. (laughs) We see it as rebuke in both places, but in the Greek, it's not rebuke. It's a different word than rebuke. And it only appears that one place... And it actually is about strike not, use force not, is what it's saying. It doesn't say, I I can tell them, you did not do that job right. Uh, you're not doing that right. You're not really gathering and having church. <laughs> you're gathering and having a social confab of uh, mutual admiration, backslapping, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, because it makes me feel good. That's not church. That's not what Christ said to do. But it makes you feel good. And you think, well, we had church, because I felt good. It was a wonderful experience at church, home church, big church, little church. But it wasn't church. It wasn't the called out. It wasn't feeding my sheep. Feeding them emotionally, yes. But if you're not taking care of a daily ministration that is actually providing for the social welfare of your society through faith, hope, and charity alone, unspotted by the systems of the world that use force, then you haven't 
yet really started seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness in earnest. You haven't real. If you don't see there's a problem with going to home church or mega church or or live feed sermons, that there's a problem with doing that and not sitting down and creating that daily ministration that takes care of all the social welfare of your society through faith, hope, and charity. If you don't see the problem there, you don't know what you're looking for yet when it says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you can't figure out what I'm saying, if you argue against what I'm saying, you know, I mean, I'm willing to hear your arguments. You may not understand what I'm saying, but if you, if you're, if you are battling against the idea of sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands to take care of the needy of your society like good Samaritans. If you're battling against that, if you're putting that off, if you're neglecting that, then you're re- neglecting repentance. You're neglecting seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because unless you sit down and give regularly of yourself, in whatever form that God leads you to give, to whomever God leads you to give to, you're not really doing what Christ said. So you need to turn around. And I'm I'm telling you that, but I will not strike you. But the people you've been going to, they will strike you. The people your parents went to, they will strike you. They will arrest you. They will throw you in jail. They will imprison you. They will do all kinds of violent, forceful things to you. They will not be content with their wages. <laughs> but they will, they were, they are there on purpose. God wants them there on purpose to punish the wicked. And who are the wicked? Those who will not sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. It is also the wicked who go out and rob and steal and commit adultery and all these other things. They're also the wicked. But the wicked are the slothful. Because sloth is a wicked thing. So you need to repent, turn around and go the other way. So anyway, I, I mentioned uh, Trump and NATO and the news and this this little dichotomy. Uh, you know, because he went and he, everybody in NATO are all coughing up extra money. Now, I remember when the Bush administration mentioned this and even the Obama administration mentioned this to some degree, not very often. But Trump is actually getting them to cough up some more money. Supposedly, we don't actually see the money yet because they got to go back. There's a, an approval process, so their governments have to go and approve. So they may say, "Yeah, we'll pay another four billion," but maybe it'll end up being a billion. <laughs> you know? And then the U.S. is supposed to pick up the slack, I guess, which means you. And of course, it won't be your tax dollars. It'll, they'll just borrow the money, and your tax dollars will have to go to pay more and more interest. Because you don't keep the Sabbath. Because you want to have your stuff now and you don't want to earn it. Can you imagine the Israelites? You know, one of the things the nomadic people, what you got is what you got. You don't got nothing but what you got. If you don't got it, you ain't got it. If it ain't your, you know, that, you know, if I don't have it in my pocket, I ain't got it. You know, I can't, I don't borrow money against the future. I didn't borrow money to build the house I live in right now. I didn't borrow money to uh, 
if I couldn't, if I couldn't, you know, put in a toilet, I didn't put in a toilet. We used an outhouse until we could put in a toilet, until, until we could put in a septic system. We went without. I, I probably had the money right away to do all those things, but then I wouldn't have had any resource. So you, you have this tendency to think ahead a little bit. You have a, a, a bigger perspective of what is coming. And, you know, uh, we're not going to do Timothy, but uh, I will tell you that uh, Timothy 1.4 starts off, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Is that coming or is that already here? Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having... Uh, their conscience seared with a hot iron. What what is he talking about? Sear their conscience seared. It won't even bother them that they're doing what they're doing. And and of course they knew this was coming because they had seen it already in their own generation. The Christians were those who whose conscience was seared and they repented. Uh, 150, almost 200 years before Christ was even born, Polybius was saying the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of a rule of force and violence. The people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others institute the rule of violence. This is a golden heathen. Polybius is closer to Christ than many of your modern preachers whose consciences are seared and think it's okay to go to men who institute the rule of force and violence to obtain benefits for you at the expense of this generation and the next and the next and the next and the next. You're, and you think that's okay. And all these preachers pulling down these ridiculous salaries and living in multi-million dollar mansions, they're not telling you that you need to repent of being accustomed to feed at the expense of others, of biting one another, which is the, the, the epistles are also telling you. Be careful that you do not bite one another. But you do. He goes on to say, and now... Uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degrade again. The whole society degrades again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch that you call the president or the prime minister or, you know, the president of, uh, of the United Nations or whatever. You, these are the fathers of the earth you pray into because you do not have church at home or in the mega churches. Because you're not sitting down together to take care of one another, to serve one another, to take care of one another. You hypocrites. So, so when you read Timothy and you see these things taking place, uh, in the world around you today, you start realizing, wait a minute, 
these are the last days. <laughs> They're doing it. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times. That's now. It's already happened. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. You know what that word thanksgiving? Eucharist. Eucharist. For it is a sacrifice by the word of God and prayer. Are you doing that when you sit down in your church? Well, tell you the truth. Now, I was just hard on home churches and even mega churches. But the reality is in all those places... There are some people that this is actually a little bit written in their heart. And they go to church because they see problems in the world. And, and they need, they need something because they, they know there's a problem. They need something that, that, that will help fix it to, to make America great again, to make the world great again, make the world better because something's going wrong. But unfortunately, you know, Mao was right. Religion today, as we know religion, is the opiate of the people. It's the diazepam of the rat race it, for a lot of people. It makes them feel like, oh, oh, well, Jesus loves me so that everything's okay. But all those people who came to Jesus and said, you know, we're doing great things in your name. They all thought Jesus loved them too. And of course he did. He did enough in order to rebuke them and say, get ye from me. I know you not. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. But he rebuking them in word just to, so that they will repent. You hypocrites. He's saying that so that they will repent. He's he's telling them the hard truth. There's no way to break it to them. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Okay, what's the presbytery? Well, that's that. Well, we'll have to go into that when we do Timothy. And uh, I'll just have to put that whole study together and we'll go through that one at a time. So, But I said I was going to change gears. I'm not going to do Timothy now. But uh, go read it for yourself. Go examine it yourself and see if you can't figure out what the heck is they, are they talking about. What is going on there? I've got a lot of notes. You can read it on uh, on, on preparing you because I have notes and, and quotes there. But... Uh, We'll go through it uh, even in greater detail because I think there's a lot of information there that people need to know. You know, don't settle. Don't settle for the drugs of society. And they come in many forms. And religion is one of those biggest drugs. Politics is another drug. You think, oh, well, you know, we got this president or we got our guy elected and he's going to make things right. He's going to fix things. He's still forcing the sacrifices of the people. His government is still doomed because that's what, that's what Saul did. He forced a sacrifice. Once you, once you're, you go down that road, you're in violation of the Deuteronomy 1716. In, in violation of the very fundamentals of the Ten Commandments. You, you know, Saul coveted what the people had because he said, but I need it. It's a good cause. I need to be able to, 
you know, supply my army to fight these Philistines. So I'm going to force the sacrifice. But Samuel said, no, you, you've screwed up. You've, your kingdom will not stand. It will not last. So if you're in any kind of government that forces the sacrifice of the people, which people call taxation, you're on your road to destruction and decimation of your society. Even if it's for a good cause, you, you, you are going to lose liberty. You're going to, you're going to be warped and changed. So anyway, one of the things that Trump did actually is more than a week ago now, I guess, but, uh, he, uh, he pardoned the Hammonds. And we've written a lot about Hammonds. You go to Preparing You, look up the Hammonds story and find out what it's all about. But I read some articles that were coming out of like Reuters, Chris Stevens and Chris Rayota of New York. You know, like they know what's going on out here in Oregon. <laughs> uh, it says Dwight and Steve Hammond were convicted in 2012 of intentionally and maliciously setting fires on public lands. The judge said he didn't believe that they did anything malicious. Intentionally, yes, they, they set fires. They, the original fire, there was two fires. They set on their land and it accidentally got over a little bit on the government land. The other fire they started was a backfire to stop a fire that was already out of control and burning in the direction of the town and other people. And going to burn up a lot of feed. I mean, the recent, there have been fires. People don't understand these range fires. Not only do they burn up cattle and sheep that are out on the range, as well as tortoises and everything else that's in the way, it burns up all the feed. So the tortoises will die, the cattle will die, uh, the wildlife will die, because it burns up that feed for a whole season. And everything starts over again. We actually have people going out and planting sagebrush after the fires because they go, oh, well, we've lost the sagebrush. We need to put it in. It's ridiculous. Sagebrush will come back on its own. And it shouldn't come back too quickly because you want other things to grow there. You know, mustard and other kinds of uh, weeds will pop up after a fire because the land is going through a cycle. And if you interrupt that cycle by bringing in the climax species right away at the beginning, you will wreck the soil even worse. Forest Service has been doing that for years, poisoning alder trees that come in after somebody cut, cuts off or there's been a fire. And they poison the alder trees with 245D, I believe. Or is it 245T? Anyway, but anyway, they uh, they poison them. Well, the alders are nitrogen fixing and they build the soil back up and and then they shade so that the the new trees will start coming in the shade there and then they'll they'll all be stunted until the alders start to die out and fall over and then they'll come out and shade out so the alders won't come back again until there's either another harvesting or there's another fire. And that's nature. But they interrupt these cycles because they don't know them and the amazing thing is all these cycles were explained in books written over a hundred years ago by guys like Pinchot. Uh, but it's like, are you guys even reading the material? Somebody has come along and they can't see these things of nature. And of course, Dwight and Steve, uh, they understood that we needed that backfire. 
uh, it goes on, uh, the decision sparks a, a protest by Ammon Bundy and dozens of others who occupied the Mulher National Refuge uh, near the Hammond Ranch in southeastern Oregon. Well, it wasn't all that near, but uh, but they did occupy it. People talk about uh, this violent occupation. It wasn't a violent occupation. You know, when they were tried, they were all acquitted of everything. And they all got to go, they could have got to go home, but then they tried to try them on something else, and then that's been thrown out since. You 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 get all this d- damning information about what's going on out here from the press, and this is what I saw in this story after story after story. Uh, you know, where you know an, another another story where they talk about President Trump just uh, issued pardons for the two Oregon Oregon cattle ranchers whose convictions were uh, setting fire to public lands became a rallying cry for militia groups. Well, there was a few militia groups involved, but, you know, most of the guns that were at Mulher belonged to the FBI. And they weren't being held by FBI agents, but FBI undercover agents, which is one of the reasons why they were all acquitted is because some of the people testifying against them did not divulge to the court that they were actually sent in by the FBI. The people who were bringing in uh, most of the guns that you saw there and uh, somebody was setting up a target range there supposedly and everything, those are all FBI agents, undercover FBI agents. That wasn't the people that were there. Yeah, there were a few people that had a few guns. Uh, but the fact is, the sheriff, I know the sheriff personally. He, he just go on there, nobody threatened him, there was any problem, come on in, uh, sit down, and they were, they were doing business as usual. And the buildings were unlocked, they just walked in. And so, it, you know, the, we have this, why were they all acquitted? All this bad press. They're leading you around. And you're not looking into things. So, you know, we have a website. You can actually go there and find the transcript of the trial, find out what was going on. They, other guys were using words like, uh, they, let's see, it says many ranchers in the West have suffered under the heavy hand of the federal government. These men are uh, great patriots. That's what one person wrote. That, that's actually Franklin Graham, uh, you know, Billy Graham's son who wrote that. But uh, other people were writing things like President Trump's pardons, Oregon rancher Dwight uh, and Stephen Hammond, whose plight led to the refuge occupation. The plight was the abusive prosecution. The first fire they set, they called up the you know the people in charge of putting out fires and said, we're going to have this controlled burn in order to improve the range. And they said, go ahead. Right. No problem. And it was very controlled. It it burned into the BLM a little bit, but it was BLM grazed that they had anyway. And the experts who came there said there was nothing destroyed but weed species. And it improved the range in every case. All the land was improved because it's natural to burn off these things. And to... And then new grasses will come back and the climax species will be dormant for a few years and the soil will be able to build back up again. And, uh, and, and cattle and sheep and deer and everything else can graze there. 
Indians used to burn these things off. Because the climax species, the, the, the sagebrush will kill out the grasses. And it will allow species to come in, you know, uh, mice and rats and sage rats. And they'll hide under the brush and they'll eat all the grass and there won't be a blade of grass for anybody. So to burn it off now and then makes things start over again because there's a cycle to this. And that's what they were doing. Ranchers do it all the time. BLM does it all the time. The BLM fires, though, often get out of control. Uh, often enough, and have destroyed buildings and livestock. I mean, just just the very next year, the BLM were burning up cattle because their fires got out of control. That and, and I, I I've I've been on these fires. Um, I I got the you know uh, we have volunteer fired uh, range fire department here, and their equipment's parked all around us. And uh, we fight these fires and we can control them and we can put them out when they get out of control. What they were doing was perfectly reasonable. This was all about a land grab and we go through that in great detail. But the people are being led around by their emotions. They're not thinking facts. They're not thinking rationally. And, of course, you see on the left, there's a lot of people that don't want to deal with facts. They don't want to deal with actually looking up and finding out what was going on. There are a lot of accusations being made and nobody goes and verifies them. And you can't quite count on Snopes <laughs> to, to verify them. Uh, Washington Post was saying uh, uh, tr- the trouble with the Hammonds uh, and fire began in 2001. That year the government showed Steve and was uh, went hunting, killing deer on land controlled by the Bureau of Land Management. Everybody goes hunting on land controlled by the Bureau of Land Management. Go read the transcripts and find out what was going on there. And people are saying, oh, they were trying to cover up evidence of poaching. I, I can tell you the coyotes out here will cover up any evidence of poaching within a few minutes. <laughs> within one night, it would be gone. That this that is completely trumped up uh, by by uh, overzealous bureaucrats trying to make an excuse. That isn't what they were doing there at all. They have no witnesses to that effect. They have no evidence to that effect, and and they do have one witness, which was a boy who was uh, actually mentally challenged. We'll say, um, who uh, under a lot of pressure said things that he regretted later on. Uh, that were simply no be- uh, basis of evidence. Now, did they ever poach deer? I don't know if they did, but I can tell you there will be more deer because of the fires that they they set and burn because they were prescribed fires. They were important to the land. They improved the land according to the the expert BLM testimony. The land was improved in every case. In every way, it's something that people do out here on a regular basis and have been doing for thousands of years. This was, again, about water rights and mineral rights, and they're trying to run the Hammonds out of business, and they want their land. Uh, But anyway, you can go on our pages and read all about that. What I'm concerned with is the fact that people are led around by false information by just shifting ideas slightly, uh, rhetoric just slightly, and 
all of a sudden people are saying, oh, the, these must be terrible people. Oh, these, this must be a bad thing. Oh, this is, this is horrible. Or maybe the other way. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is, this is righteous. You have to think a little deeper. You have to go a little deeper. You have to uh, go in to examine the facts objectively. So now we're going to read the Bible. And now we're going to examine the Bible and uh, see what the the Bible is doing and, and how it's uh, trying to explain things to us. You have to go and find out in what context did Paul say this? Who is he speaking to? Who is he writing to? He's not writing to your home church. He's writing to actual real Christians at that time who were doing real things at that time. He's explaining uh, things in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is also called the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's appointing men he called out to be separate from the world. The word world there is constitutional order or system of government. Not separate from the age. That's another word translated into world. Not separate from inhabited places. They're not monks often, in, you know, contemplating their navel in a mountain in the Himalayas. And not to pick on monks in the Himalayas. Um, but the reality is that they actually have a job to do. And they had to be separate to do it. They had to follow certain criteria laid down by Christ. But the people who they were to serve, to take care of, to provide for, to feed the sheep, they were to do their role too because they are the elders of the community. Again, this is... You know, not only this religion, not just what you think about God, not just what you think about the Trinity, not what you think about your doctrines and ordinances, but religion was how you, uh, the, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. That was the definition of religion. It's actually what you do. That's what religion is. That's what the Greek word threskia. It had to do with what you do. Does that mean you're saved by works? No, you're going to be saved by grace. But if you're not doing the works of Christ, you're probably not saved by faith. Because if you have real faith, you will do what Christ said. If the Pharisees had real faith, they would have been doing what Moses said. If you're a Muslim, you know, whatever the heck that is. I mean, what, Shiite, Sunni, you know. I mean, but they supposedly recognize Moses and they supposedly recognize, you know, uh, Abraham. They even say they recognize Jesus as a prophet. But if they did, then why aren't they doing... And, and the fact is, I know there are some Muslims that are closer to the kingdom than some of the Christians I know. They just, they're just, they, they have this opiate religion where they follow, you know, certain teachings. Now, I'm not talking about Muhammad. Muhammad was doing all kinds of things wrong, very clearly, historically. I mean, if what they tell me he was doing, he was doing, he wasn't following Moses. And uh, because people don't know what Moses was doing. And of course, we've shown this over and over again that the the Pharisees read the Torah and the Essenes read the Torah. And, And Zealots read the Torah. 
and Sadducees occasionally read the Torah. <laughs> not not real often, but they they read the Torah. But they all had completely different interpretations of what the Torah said. I thought this was supposed to be a pretty exact book. Well, it actually is. But it's just like the people reading the story about Dwight and Stephen Hammond. If you skew a little bit of the facts, a little bit of the information, or you leave certain things out, or you emphasize other things, you can draw a picture that looks completely different than what is the truth. And and because you don't really decide things up here in your brain. You decide things in your heart. And then you arrange your brain, the facts in your brain, the the validity of certain information, the invalidity of other information to come up with your own picture of the truth. That's idolatry. You're constructing the truth with your own hands and mind and thinking. I mean, if you, when you write out the Constitution, which is fine, go ahead and do it. But when you subject yourself to it by contract, see, the Constitution really did not unite all the states as one country. The states were still, and this is a quote right out of Clark's summary of U.S. American law, after the Constitution, the states were still as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. Now, that's not the case anymore, but that was at that time. But also, we the people didn't refer to the average American living in the individual states. It referred to the congressmen and senators and presidents and employees of the federal government. That was we the people of the United States. You were a citizen of your state. You were a citizen of Massachusetts. You were a citizen of New York. You were a citizen of Connecticut. You weren't a citizen of the United States. You you couldn't even get a passport unless you were one of those senators, congressmen, ambassadors, and some of those people employed by the federal government. Because you were not a party to the Constitution. That's been ruled over and over again that was at that time. But now you are a party. You're surety for the debt. Of the United States, so now you are a party to it. So anyway, that's another whole story. But you don't look at the details. You want to be led by emotions and, and led by feelings. The kingdom of God is not a fancy or a feeling. It's, it's righteousness. So you have to turn around and think differently. You have to. Walk differently. You have to walk in the ways of Christ. Are you willing to walk in the ways of Christ? Well, before you get up and start walking in the ways of Christ, you may need to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Then you can get up and walk. Well, when you sit down, you may also want to take a closer look at uh, at uh, yourself. Because the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that, that's very important that you understand that the kingdom of heaven is within you. And, and you have to look in that direction to to find the ways of Christ. 
it is to look and find out what's really going on in your own heart. Now, the tree of knowledge is there and the tree of information. And so you may have to take a look at that information in order to question what's going on in your own heart. So this is why I'm telling you that if you're not sitting down in a network of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, trying to figure out a way in which to come together to take care of all the social welfare through thanksgiving, through the Eucharist of Christ. Remember the word thanksgiving is Eucharist. When you see Eucharist, you're seeing the word thanksgiving. That's thankful for the opportunity of giving. You you don't want to be in a perfect congregation where nobody ever does anything wrong. I don't know if you could find one. But if you could, that's not what you're looking for. Because you want to be able to forgive one another. Because if you don't forgive one another, you can't be forgiven. That's why Jesus says, forgive so that you may be forgiven. If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. So you have, if you want to be given to, you have to give of yourself some way, shape, or form. Now, I can't tell you how to do that or when to do it or where to do it. But the Holy Spirit can. Well, you're not going to hear from the Holy Spirit unless you get inside yourself and listen to what's already, find out what's already in there. There be monsters in there. You have to look into the abyss of your own heart. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm hard on you at times. I pick on you at times. I, um, point out that you make lots of mistakes and, um, that you've made lots of mistakes about, um, the truth about what the Bible says, what it means to go to church. You know, I mean, even if, once you understand that there's lots of words in the biblical, in, in Greek, that mean assembly. There, there's all these different words that mean assembly in, uh, in Greek. But the, the word that they, we see translated into church is, is not one of those words. It actually is the word that means called out. And Jesus appointed the called out, just like Moses appointed the called out, the church in the wilderness, to feed his sheep. He put restrictions on them. He did not put on the rest of the people. And like the, the Levites before them, they owned all things in common. And they had a particular job that they were supposed to be doing. They were to serve the homes of the individual congregations. Yeah, we should meet in homes. That's a good idea to meet in homes. But if you just meet in homes to get that little uh, diazepam good feeling of fellowship and liking one another and, oh, we did this good thing. And you think you're good, like the, like the Pharisee praying. Oh, we do this. We meet in a home church, not like those people that meet in the mega churches who don't even know one another. We actually take the time. So we do that. No, you need to have this prayer of the publican. Yeah, we meet in home churches, but Lord, have mercy on us. For we do not have a daily administration that takes care of all the needy of our society through faith, hope, and charity. We are still dependent upon the men who call themselves 
benefactors, but actually exercise authority. And until we follow your ways with our whole heart, mind, and soul, we are humble sinners before you, Lord. And we need your blessing. We need your protection. We need your awakening. So you see how that kind of works? How that we're kind of going that way? Uh, we had a guy come on to, uh, uh, we have a His Holy Church Facebook. You can find us there. You, everybody can sign up. You get, we'll drop you little things. I talked about the Hammonds and, and put a link there to the article that we've already done all the research. You know, we haven't done all the research. We've done a lot more than we saw from the Reuters and Washington Post. And, uh, you know, we're actually quoting the actual transcripts. And actually showing you what was really going on. And like I say, I have first-hand knowledge of a lot of the people. I know people who live in that area. I know the sheriff uh, for for 20 years now. I see his kids almost every day. We're, we're grown up now. But um, at least his kids by his first wife. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, so I know the guy. And I've talked to him about the, the, some of the things that went on there. And, you know, this, this, uh, well, the a guy makes a comment there, and I won't go read the whole comment, but he doesn't even spell their name right, but uh, of course I, I misspell things all, all the time. But, uh, uh, he talks about death threats and all this stuff. Where, where are you getting that stuff? You know, that, that isn't, that isn't actually the case. And, and he doesn't understand the agency, doesn't understand, but he sits there, you know, he's a social justice warrior. In his house, you know, probably, or in his parents' house or something. And, uh, you know, he, he doesn't understand the situation and he doesn't seem to care to understand or find out. And that's what, you know, I get up early and do a lot of the research. I give you the footnotes. I give you the books for free. They're all free online. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to subscribe. You know, I kind of actually feel bad when people Ask for the MP3 DVDs and stuff like that because almost all of it's available online for free. You can download it and make your own recording. You know, we're not in the business of selling this. You know, but some people want hard copies, so we'll send them hard copies. But we can't afford to just give them away free. We make our own living. We support ourselves. If you want us to do, you know, feed the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, you have to come to, you have to sit down like Christ commanded and take care of one another. And in that article on, or, or that video on the rats, that, where they gave the one rat diazepam and he suddenly no longer had any interest in saving his buddy. You know, you smoke marijuana, yeah, it could help you, but it also may cause you to not want to go help your neighbor. You may not want to go to your granddad's funeral because you're, you may not show up to work on time because it has a tendency to make it so that your anxiety goes away. Artificially causes your anxiety to go away. You need that anxiety. And at the end of the the little video the psychologists who are doing this study says that, yeah, causes them not to feel the stress anymore so that they don't, they, they're not driven to help their neighbor. 
their their fellow rat in the rat race and because they have their diazepam and their conclusion was that no what you really want to do is go out and help somebody you'll get the same relief as the diazepam but you will have actually also accomplished helping somebody you know and that will have an effect on the other person just as that anxiety was transferred from the rat that was in the little cylinder cage to the rat that was still walking around, so also is the compassion translated and transferred from, you know, the uh, the compassion that they feel to save that rat that's inside, the appreciation, the honor, that's what appreciation, honor, of the rat inside now for the rat that saved it. And you're creating those loyalties. This is why you have two parents, a father and a mother, each with different talents and skills. The woman is, uh, I don't know, more supple, more usually weaker, seemingly weaker physically because she doesn't go out and fight the warrior with her hopolite shield. But she uh, nurtures the family strengthens the family, cares for the family, makes sure that there aren't GMOs and too much sugar in their diet and and that their if their their, their meat is well cooked and and they she provides the diet because she's a nurturer, she's a nester, she's a provider. The husband is providing protection and uh, and a lot of times he sees things farther away. She's providing intuition, but they're working together as a team. Different kinds of people, not equal in any way, shape, or form, except in their right to choose to eat of the tree of knowledge or to eat of the tree of life. That's your choice. That's it. They work together as a team to raise these children up, and that transmits to the child. But if you're going to be like Polybius said, and start caring for yourself more than your neighbor becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others having your conscience sin so that's okay now because my preacher he will make me feel good about that when I go to church that it's a good thing that we eat at the free bread of Rome there is no free bread from Rome it, it came somebody worked to produce it Christians would not eat at the free bread of Rome They would not take an oath of loyalty to get that free bread of Rome. They would not, uh, they would not sell themselves a slave in Egypt to get the bread of Egypt. They would gather together and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and through hard times. And they, that's, they learn that skill just in the nick of time. Because eventually there was a decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And there's that comes and goes. It's part of that nature. You know, occasionally there's a fire and all the climax species get burnt off. Along with a lot of the rats and mice and kangaroo rats and endangered species and snakes and everything else. Wiped out sometimes in the fire. Some will survive. Some will burrow down in holes and survive. Some will scamper into the rocks or get away. But then they will start over again. 
the hawks and the eagles will have a field day for a little while because there won't be any cover and that what fewer there they'll get or they'll pick up this scavenging uh, from the burnt carcasses. But eventually nature will restore itself. It is the cycles of the seasons. We're supposed to have dominion. We're supposed to be guided by the righteousness of God. And if we were wise, and these are the end times, we would sit down in the tens, hundreds, and fifties, and thousands, and start to caring for one another, and get our adrenaline uh, release from anxiety about the times, because we're actually walking in the ways of Christ. I talked about the, the walk-away movement, of so many liberals, because the the left side is looking so irrational, so hateful, so angry, so abusive of the facts that many people are walking away from the left because they see it as hypocritical. But they're just going over to the right that's also hypocritical in another way, but still hypocritical. May have some more values that are closer to kingdom than the left does. A lot of people are on the left because they have compassion. That's a kingdom characteristic to have compassion. You just don't, you don't use the diazepam of social welfare or socialism in order to, to satisfy that compassion. In the kingdom of God, it's somewhere in between where, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of the needy, but we'll do it through faith, hope, and charity, not through taxation. And not through voting a moderate tax or a tax break. I mean, all the Romans were doing that. All the emperors, every time they get elected, they would give out some, you know, tax deduction. And that was one of the interesting things about a lot of people who don't do the math. The tax deduction that was introduced under Trump, that only is going to last so long. And it's going to go away. (laughs) And then you'll be right back to where you were before. No, you don't just change your leader. You have to change your ways. You have to change the spirit by which you come together. You don't come together to get a good feeling. You don't come together to get the diazepam of religion. Oh, we're a home church. Oh, we're a mega church. Oh, we're a Baptist church. Oh, we're a Methodist church. We're not like those guys over there. So we're better. No, we're all sinners. We're all hypocrites. We all have need of repentance. We all have to come together in faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty. And we should do it the way that Christ commanded us to do it. So I really encourage everybody to uh, go online. Go to hisholychurch.org, preparingyou.com, and... uh Find the network links. Join the email networks. I had a guy write me because he, he, he brought it up on one of our study calls, which is usually on Tuesday. And uh, he, But he didn't know what he was saying somewhere where God was threatening to kill Moses. You have to go into kind of the Hebrew syntax. I don't really believe that he was threatening to kill Moses. And the word kill there isn't even the word kill, <laughs> which is... Uh, you know, you know, it's in Exodus 4, the, the, in verse 24. 
And if you read the, the verses before that, uh, it took, Moses took his wife and son and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And so we're, we're seeing it set up there. And thou shalt say unto the Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Again, firstborn in societies in ancient times when they had the tens, fifties, and hundreds, the firstborn was the priest of the family because he was the one who was to conduct the religion of the family. And the religion was how you took care of the family, the needy of the whole family. Uh, and, and he is only that while his father still lives. When his father dies, he may not be the priest of the family, he'll, but he is the firstborn. That's why the firstborn usually inherited the estates in England. It's all part of the same thing. But that they inherited that estate so that they would take care of one another. What are they doing taking care of one another? Same as the rats in the cage. That if one of the family gets trapped, he is going to want to help release him. Anyway, and it came to pass in verse 24, we see in the way, uh, in the end, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. What, what is it? Sought to kill Moses? Well, if you read in 23, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Uh, what, are, what are we talking about here? Sephora took a sharp stone and cut the foreskin off her son and cast it uh, at his feet and said, Surely, bloody husband, art thou to me? And he let him go. Uh, and, and so anyway, so what, what was that all about? That we all talk about circumcision. This is all written originally in the Hebrew. And so you gotta go to look at those words, you know, like the word kill. Normally that's a three letter word. It shows up hundreds and hundreds of times, but only uh, about 50 times does it show up three letters. That that particular usage there actually has, uh, I think, almost five letters. No, I think it actually has almost six letters in, in that word. It's it's a different word. Normally, it's mem, vav, tav. Mem is flow. Vav is division or connection, connecting word. Tav is the word for faith. So we're talking about the flowing of faith. So how does that mean kill? Well, it means kill if you cut off faith. If mem, if the vav is used as a division, then you're cutting the flow of faith. That's killing. That's killing the spirit. And death will result. But in this case, the word is hey mem yad tav vav. The vav is on the end. It's not in the middle. There's yad between the mem and the tav. And a hey at the beginning, which is an emphasis letter. And so if you don't understand all those things, and you don't need to understand all those things if you have the Holy Spirit. But I mentioned that you're, you're reading these books and you see kill there. It's only, it doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> that's, that, that's, 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 comes down to religion doesn't mean what you think it means. Church doesn't mean what you think it means. But if you were really operating according to the Holy Spirit, so how do you make room for the Holy Spirit? Forgive and give. Obey Christ. Do what Christ said. Come in the name of Christ. Gather together not to get a good feeling, but gather together to do righteousness for one another. 
rebuke one another when you need to rebuke one another. The rebuke that doesn't involve striking. It doesn't involve abandoning one another. It, uh, it involves coming together. I mean, if you abandon people every time they did something wrong, would that be a good way to be parent and, and, and father and mother to your children? Oh, we're going to abandon our kids because they, they wouldn't be quiet when we told them to be quiet. Uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't get up when I said, so we're not, we're going to abandon them now. But you abandon your congregations. You know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. We don't even tell people to leave the church they're going to. Think about that. Go ahead and join the network. And until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.